Amen. Please take your Bibles and go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, towards the back of your Bible. And uh, thank you, sweetheart. That was wonderful. I call all the girls that were in my youth group sweetheart. And uh, if their husbands don't like it, I can still young enough to take them all out behind the building. Amen. Plus, I usually have a firearm. I feel naked without my firearm. I really do. Amen. Uh, in Michigan, I, I have a CPL, but you can't carry in Connecticut and all that. And so I shouldn't have told them that I wasn't carrying tonight. Amen. Now they're going to think they can take me. No, uh, I appreciate so much the godly spouses that, uh, um, by the way, my wife and I prayed for for these young ladies, that God would give them godly spouses. And uh, we were blessed. We, we had such a great time <clears throat> in, in our youth group serving the Lord and um, had so much fun. And Melissa reminded me of a great story the other night that I will not tell uh, because I love you, sweetheart, and I don't want to embarrass you. And uh, I'll tell it when they're not here. Amen. <laughs> and uh, no, but then uh, I think about uh, the, the, uh, all those times to Jarvis Heights, picking up you guys and waiting for you. And especially for you in the cry room, waiting for you. She can't hear me in there, can she? I, I, I mean, just waiting and waiting. And then Yamira, their oldest sister, saying, Pastor, just leave without him. Just leave without him. Yamira, of course, the oldest sister, was always on time. You know how that goes, amen. But then I was thinking about our time here, and uh, Brother Starry and I had uh, breakfast this morning. That was such a blessing, Brother Rich, amen. I always enjoy fellowship with you. But I remember uh, Brother Rome and I, and I was trying to think of the third member. Brother Rome thinks it might have been Ron Royer, but we used to sing, and uh, we, we joked. We called ourselves the Howling Dog Trio. Remember that, Miss Marge? And so we're up here singing one time, and I think we were practicing, and uh, boy, that, that's, you know, give new meaning to the term practicing, I can tell you that right now. And uh, Brother Starry comes running in, and he says, what is going on around in here? And we said, what? He said, every dog within two miles is running around howling, amen. <laughs> and I was thinking today when, when uh, Brother Townsley was talking about your precious wife, and I thought, you know what? The best, for, I've been saved 25 years this year. I got saved in 1995, and I started going to church right away, and then really, uh, within probably about the six, six to nine months, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the best friends that I have in this world are people that I went to church with, not just on Sunday morning. Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, missions conferences, special fellowships, progressive dinners, you name it, amen, that we did it together as a family of God. And uh, I was thankful for that testimony today by uh, Brother Townsley about that. Just Anna was faithful. Hey, if I could give you one piece of advice, I'm just getting ready to get into the message here. Be faithful. You will never go wrong being faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 tells us. Would you stand with me? 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read the first 12 verses. First 12 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to preach to you a message tonight entitled, The Believer's Greatest Loss. The Believer's Greatest Loss. 
and uh, hopefully give you some practical applications that you can take with you and uh, chew on as you leave here tonight. Read with me there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, follow along. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our text verse. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Father, bless your word to our hearts tonight. Lord, we pray that you'd quiet us. Thank you for, Lord, I think of the children even right now, Lord. Thank you for them, just their, their stillness and their quietness and Lord, we know it's tough to be little and, and uh, be still. Lord, I just ask that you would help us tonight to, again, minimize the distractions, the comings and goings, even our phones. And Lord, help us to just focus in on what you have for us. Holy Spirit, would you please make this one message for many hearts tonight? And uh, we'll be careful to praise you. Use your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have enjoyed team sports since I was a child. I will say this uh, now, uh, I'm enjoying the professional sports less now, and maybe I should just leave it right there, amen. Uh, but ever since I was a child, listen, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood in Westfield, Massachusetts, just uh, 30 miles up the road here, and uh, the, this neighborhood was just built, and all of a sudden, middle-class families were moving in, and so I grew up with, there was 25 of us all the same age. I mean, we played wiffle ball, stick ball, football, kill the guy with the ball, amen. I mean, we, we played every kind of ball that you could play. And then as I went through high school, I played competitively. Uh, I played uh, three sports in high school. We didn't have a football team, so I played goalie in soccer because Brother Dayfield, they said you could still hit people, amen, and I kind of liked that. And uh, then I played basketball, of course, and played baseball. And uh, even after uh, 
after high school, played on a travel soccer team and played a little bit, bit of baseball. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm from New England. In, in New England, since 2000, we've done pretty good competitively sports-wise in New England. Amen. The Red Sox and, and the, of course, the Patriots. And, and, uh, and I'll not talk about the Giants because Brother Starry will start amening and swinging from the chandeliers up there. Uh, but the Red Sox, you know, literally all the Boston professional teams have won a championship since 2000. It's amazing. Can I tell you this? Other than the Celtics, it was not always so for Red Sox fans. Some of you Red Sox, I, it's funny because I'm out in Michigan and people say, oh, you like uh, the Patriots because of Tom Brady. You know, he went to the University of Michigan, so we have all these transplant fans out there. And I break out, for you Patriots fans, I break out my Hog Hanna jersey, okay? Old John Hanna, you say, who's that? That proves that you haven't been a fan as long as some of us have, okay? Uh, John Hanna was like the best player for the Patriots before Tom Brady came along. 1973 to 1985 he played. They did not do that well then. The Red Sox did not do that well. When I was a, just a kid, they made it to the 1975 World Series. And, and uh, of course, Carlton Fisk hit that famous home run where he went like this. And uh, he had a great quote. They lost to the Reds in seven games. He said, you know, we won that World Series, three games to four, he said. Amen. I thought that was pretty good for those of you that can do math tonight. Amen. You can't win a series if you win three out of four games, or three out of seven games. So 1986, I'm a 14-year-old kid in love with baseball. And the, our beloved Red Sox make it to the World Series. I remember, listen, I remember these, these things. I, I, it's, it's amazing the memory God gives. First game, Shea Stadium, playing against the Mets. We win one to nothing. What a great game. Next game, we win nine to three. Pastor, we're on our way. Two games to nothing in the World Series. Lose the next two games to the Mets. The Mets, seven to one, six to two. Then the Red Sox win four to two. They need to win one more game. And along comes game six, game six of the 1986 World Series. Back and forth game, back and forth game, goes to extra innings. The Red Sox go up by two runs in the 10th inning. I, I could, Brother Benedict, I could see this stuff happening. And my, my, the, the truth is, anytime I watch this, vi, like a portion of the video, I still think the Red Sox are going to win. <laughs> Pastor, you and the Cleveland Indians, you know what I'm talking about, Amen. <laughs> Okay, so I, I could see this in my mind, okay? The, the pitcher is Calvin Chiraldi. He throws. Wally Backman flies out to left field to Jim Rice, one out, okay? Keith Hernandez comes up. Boom, blast to center. Dave Henderson goes back to the warning track, catches it, two outs. Gary Carter comes up, two strikes on get Two outs, two strikes, up by two runs, and I, on the screen of Shea Stadium, it says... Congratulations, Boston Red Sox, 1986 world champions. And Gary Carter gets a hit. And Ray Knight gets a hit. And Kevin Mitchell gets a hit. And a pass ball. Now the game is tied. And up comes Mookie Wilson. Mookie Wilson hits a dribbler down the first baseline that hits something. Every time I see it, I'm like, that Mets groundkeeper put a pebble right there, amen. <laughs> hits something, and poor old Bill Buckner 
got his glove down, and it goes right alongside of it, Brother Rome, and the Mets win the game on a ground ball, win the next night. I'm going to tell you, as a kid, as a 14-year-old kid who loves sports, that was devastating. I tell you, my dad, who loved baseball, taught me to love baseball, never cared about baseball again. I mean it, Pastor, never again. He just, that he was done at that point. When, when the Red Sox finally won in 2004, and me and my mother were swinging from the chandeliers, jumping up and down, doing a conga line, you name it, amen. We told my dad, 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 they won. He said, no. Nah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, it was, I'll tell you, it was, it was absolutely in team sports the greatest loss, except probably Brother Rich until 2007 when the Giants beat the Patriots, who were undefeated up till that point. You know, and I think of great losses, and you, you've probably got something you can think of, you know, in your life, so if you care about sports or uh, something, you know, just that you could think of, wow, that was the greatest loss. I want to I look tonight at something. Can I say this without any shadow of a doubt? The greatest loss that anyone could suffer is the loss of a soul. You know why? Because a soul is worth more than the whole world, according to Mark chapter 8. If you are here tonight and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen to me, you need to settle that matter. You know why? Because the Bible says, He that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. See, you'll not be condemned after you die. You're already condemned right now. And your sentence will commence when you die. Trust Christ now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so uh, the loss of a soul is beyond the greatest loss. You know, I think of Brother Rome, the loss of a loved one. The loss of a loved one. We've had in our, our congregation through the years people that have lost their beloved ones. We've had people that have lost children. We've had people that have lost their spouse. I think of one in our church, Brother Herb Cohn. He just turned 94 years old. He always tells me, getting old's not for sissies, Pastor. That's his great line, amen. And I thought, at 94, you would know, Brother Herb, amen. And I always, I kid with him. I said, Brother Herb, I'm middle age if I'm going to live to be as old as you, amen. And uh, Brother Herb, he lost his sweet Maxine after 67 years. She got dementia. And I watched him try to care for her, and that's a, that's a great loss. You know, I think about uh, the loss of property or possessions. Dear pastor friend of mine, pastor's 15 miles away from me, been about 10 years now. He woke up in the middle of the night and heard strange noises and uh, smelled something strange and had the foresight. He got up, got his children all out of the house, and within minutes his house was engulfed in flames. A squirrel, or a rodent, a squirrel, bit into a wire and zapped him, and the house went up like kindling. You know, you know what he said? He said, you know, I, I lost my suits, and I lost my firearms and all that. He said, but I lost pictures that my kids drew for me. I lost little, little you know, that, that's a loss, amen. That's certainly a loss. 
But we're, th- we're talking about the believer here tonight, and I want to go through this text with me, go through this text and, and uh, just, just drive a point home. I, I think that can help us. Look at me, look first, if you would, number one, uh, I, I try to alliterate messages, just it's easier to remember and, and go through things. So these are all R's, amen. So number one, look at the reality in verse one. The reality that we see here, Simon Peter's writing this. This is the Apostle Peter. This was the same one that had denied Jesus Christ and then was restored by Jesus Christ. And I think it's very interesting when you find how Jesus said that, uh, Peter said, look, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And by the way, he put his money where his mouth was. Well, how how can you say that, Pastor? He cut off the, the servant's ear. Everybody remember that? When they came to take Jesus, Peter was the one who whipped out his sword. And I think, Pastor, I think he tried to split the guy's skull and he moved a little bit and cut off his ear. And, of course, we remember Jesus put it back on. But, uh, listen, he loved Jesus. He loved him. You could say, I love Jesus. Well, you never know what you'll do. I hear people all the time, well, when they come for this and they come for this, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do... You don't know that. You don't know that. Now, I, I say, Lord, give me grace. Help me to love you in word and deed, as 1 John three eighteen says. Amen? But Peter loved Jesus, but he denied him three times. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, I'll never deny you. I'll die. Well, what happened? Three times he denied him. It's interesting when Jesus comes back to restore him, He asks him three times, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? We found out he he did, and and he was restored, and he preached at Pentecost, amen, and 3,000 people were saved, amen. Same Peter here, a servant, I love that, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that he says, I was a servant first. Boy, God needs more servants. I mentioned it last night, I I won't dwell long, but boy, I thank God for servants. When I think of people through the years that serve the Lord, just people that help out around the grounds and, uh, you know, just uh, weed whack or blow the grass trimmings or people that run a vacuum cleaner in here, you, you name it. Thank God for servants. Thank God for servants. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the reality. Who is he talking to here? To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is he talking to here? He is talking to born-again believers, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Remember what the jailer said. He came in and questioned uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. So here's the reality. He is talking to believers. A, A very, very, very important principle of basic Bible study is who is the writer writing to? So many times people want to take Old Testament passages and lift them out into the New Testament. Don't do that. Don't do that. Amen. We can learn much from the Old Testament. Amen. God gave it to us for our learning. Romans 15 4 says. But listen, here he is talking to believers. That's the reality. Number two, he gives the request. I love this. Grace 
and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. You know, he says here his, his request is, is just, listen, I want God to bless you. I want God to bless you with grace. Well, we all need God's grace. Oh, what's grace? God's unmerited favor. You know, in these days, you know what else we need? Peace. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding. My peace give I you, not as the world giveth give I you. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said in John 14, 7. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. And so he, he, he gives here the reality. He gives the request. And then he talks about the riches that believers have. Verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us, how many things? How many things? All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. He says here, uh, I give you the, these, these riches that we have. Pastor and I were talking about that yesterday. We were mentioning uh, uh, folks that, that uh, have so much, literally, uh, you know, spend $40,000 on a kitchen renovation and, and go through all this and yet are not happy. I read a great quote yesterday. I posted it on Facebook uh, uh, by Walter B. Knight. He said, there's two ways to be rich. One is to have all you want, and the other is to be content with what you have. Listen, we may not have much of this world's good, but in Christ we have it all because we have Him. He says here the riches. The rich, I, I, I'm in my 86th lesson in Ephesians on Wednesday nights. It's taken about three and a half years of Wednesday nights. We do, we do it in conjunction with our kids' program. So it's during the school year, and then during the summer we have series and whatnot. But the, the, the title of the whole uh, outline, Pastor, the title of the whole series is The Riches of His Grace. The riches of... We, listen, you know what you have in Jesus Christ? You have salvation, you have sanctification, you have justification, you have redemption, all those big theological terms. You know what it means? You're going to heaven one day and you're going to enjoy the riches of heaven because of Jesus Christ. Amen. The request, the riches, the reality. In verses 3 and 4, the resources, the resources... He says he hath given us all things in chapter, verse 3. Then he says this, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. For any of you English students out there, God does not use adverbs and adjectives to fill space. Amen? This, this, they're not just promises, although that would be enough, Brother Rome. Amen? They're precious promises. They're not just precious promises. They're great precious promises. They're not just great precious promises. They're exceeding great precious promises. God gives His children, first of all, His person. The person of Jesus Christ. When you read about what Jesus did, you read the Gospels. Amen. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke. Amen. Read John. Jesus Christ, and we read all that Jesus did, that was for you. That was for you. Everything that he did. 
He gives us His person. Hey, you know what else He gives us? He gives us His power, doesn't He? Jesus said as He was getting ready to ascend on high, He said to His disciples, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, Christians have access to God's power. Not only His power in His person, but, my goodness, His promises. By the way, you're doing great, sweetheart. You're doing great. Awesome. I need one of those, but there's too much sugar in it. Amen? <laughs> uh, by the way, I saw everything today. Now that I... What was that, sweetie? That's your treat? You're doing good. Amen? <laughs> so that's my... I, by the way, today, going grocery shopping, I saw, I saw everything with sugar today. I've never seen it before. It's like, boom, 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 popped right out. Amen. Every Hershey bar I passed by I said, you know you want one of me. Amen. Those of you that don't know, I found out last week I have diabetes, and so I can't, i got to change everything up. And, but listen, he gives us his person, he gives us his power, and he gives us his promises, doesn't he? I tell you, I had such a good time in my devotions today. Did you ever get convicted that you don't have a good time in your devotions? Okay, just me. The rest of you visitors from heaven tonight, amen, never get convicted about that. <laughs> the resources, the riches, the requests, the reality. But then we move into something that we don't like. It starts with our responsibilities responsibilities verses 5 through 7 because of all that we have in Christ because of all the resources that we have at our disposal we are responsible to grow it is not God's job to grow us it is God's job to provide the water and the sunlight for us to grow it's up to us to till our garden Huh? It's up to us to build our spiritual house, as 1 Corinthians 3 says. It says there in verse 5, And beside this, okay, what's the beside this? That tells you, if you go back to the previous verse, we've been given precious promises, we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through this. Besides this, giving all diligence. We have a friend at our home church, Mountain View Baptist Church, where Brother Glenn's the children's church pastor, Brother John Savine, he's a police officer. Brother John told me years ago, gave me this illustration, been a police officer for almost 20 years, I think 17 or 18 years there in Holyoke. Not an easy place to be a police officer. Not an easy place at all. And Brother John told me about a man who was resisting arrest and how the man... They put him in the back of the car, and he kicked out the window, got out, and ran several blocks before they caught him. And then when they caught him, still, it took three, four guys to, to get him. I have here next to giving all diligence, dogged determination, perseverance. Sometimes we, we treat our Christian life just kind of haphazard. Eh. Oh, I didn't read my Bible today. No big deal. It's a big deal. 
It's a big deal. Why? Because God's got your nutrients in the day for you. Right here. And so he says, we're to grow. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. That is to grow. Can I tell you that according to the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, that one day God is going to call you into account in your Christian life and He is going to expect growth. He is going to expect increase. There was only one that didn't increase and God was not pleased. He says, add to your faith. What what are we going to add to our faith? We start off with our faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, and then we get it all when we get that. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to add virtue. Virtue means genuine goodness. You know, when Jesus was walking, getting ready to heal a little 12-year-old girl who died, there was a woman who came and she had had a issue of blood, a a gynecological issue for 12 years. I I preached on that one time, Pastor, uh, 12 year, the difference that 12 years could make in two different lives. Jairus' daughter was 12 when she died, and the woman had an issue of blood, 12 years. 12 years of joy, 12 years of misery. But both of them were about to experience a miracle in that 13th year. And you remember what happened? She said she had that faith in Christ. She said, Listen, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus said, who touched me? And his disciples said, Master, listen, everybody's thronging you. What do you mean, who touched me? He said, somebody touched me because virtue has gone out of me. Genuine goodness. We need more people with virtue. You don't hear the term virtue very much anymore. You did at the founding of our republic. Men and women were men and women of virtue. Genuine goodness. So listen, we're supposed to add genuine goodness to our faith. You know what that means? By default, we should get rid of things that we know are genuinely bad. When I got saved at 23 years old, it did not take me very long to realize I shouldn't be at bars anymore. You can say amen. It's a Baptist church, right? I know it's New England. It's a little stuffy here, amen. You can say amen. It did, listen, it didn't take me long to realize that I wasn't supposed to look at pornography. It didn't take me long to realize that rock music was not going to draw me closer to God. Those things are not genuinely good. So they should genuinely get out of our lives. That's what we call personal separation. And by the way, it flows from the inside out. Some people are so so separated. Boy, they're glad to tell you how separated they are. And you could tell, and they got the biggest King James Bible. They got to bring it in a wheelbarrow. And, And if it's a lady, her dress looks like a wedding train every time she comes to church. Listen, that is not separation. That is evidences. You know, the Pharisees were separated. Separations from the inside out. I love God, and therefore I want to add to my faith virtue. Virtue. What's the next thing? Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. Okay? Knowledge. 
Knowledge is spiritual truth. Spiritual truth. And listen, you are not going to increase in, in knowledge if you just don't get in this book. Got to be in this book every day. Uh, and again, uh, I mentioned it before, but Sunday school is where the Bible's taught. Amen. You're starting Sunday school back up, Pastor. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's been tough for us pastors, man. I, when we, we had to just go to one service on Sunday, and uh, we were pre-recording it because we, we couldn't meet initially, and uh, one service on Sunday, I felt like, I felt like a heel pastor. I'm like, I haven't been in one service in Sunday from ages. Because why? Because we had Sunday school. Learn the doctrines of the Bible. Learn the books of the Bible. Amen. Uh, Sunday night. So I always, I, my favorite service, Brother Rome, was always the Sunday night service. I always felt like that was the family service. The family of God service, the close family. But then Wednesday night is usually pastors teaching through a series or a book of the Bible, and you get knowledge. You're not going to grow without getting spiritual truth in your life. So virtue, knowledge. Then what's, what's after knowledge? Oh, this one is so important. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge in verse 6. To knowledge, temperance. What is temperance, pastor? self control self control you know what the huh, my goodness you know what the identifying mark of the age is no self control none whatsoever you look at what was going on in our country and again it's not everybody and and god you know god help me i'm going to move away from the pulpit a little here pastor amen uh, listen the stuff that happens that is portrayed in the media is about this much in a barrel about this big. You know what's peaceful in where I live? People get along. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter. I said, I said to my friends, I have friends that, that are African American, I said, you know this, your life mattered to me a long time before they made a slogan. Temperance means self-control. Hey, if anybody ought to have self-control, it's God's people. I'd be spirit control. Temperance. Temperance. And then temperance, what does it say after that? Tem uh, add to knowledge temperance and to temperance, oh boy, here we go. Patience. Patience means stoic endurance. Especially when you're in the fast food line for 20 minutes. <laughs> Anybody else like that? You, you're like, what? I, you know, I, I think one of my boys said to me, uh, he, he'll ask, he's like, Dad, is this fast food or is this a sit-down restaurant? And, you know, I'll tell him, so it's fast food, it's a sit-down restaurant. And uh, we're in the line at the fast food place, and he says, Dad, is this fast food or sit-down restaurant? Amen? And I'm sitting there, you know? You know how it is. I want patience. I want it right now. Amen? That's not the patience God's talking about here, amen? You know, I, I've seen people patiently endure suffering. Just quiet, stoic endurance. The girls, of course, know Pastor and Mrs. Tharp and seen what they've gone through in their life and one of the hardest things I ever, one of the hardest Sundays I ever had was November 30th, 2003. Our pastor's son had been killed in a car accident two days before. 
And I think it was the only time in my ministry that I didn't stand up from a pulpit and teach Sunday school class. We just sat in a circle with the teen group and just cried and talked and asked questions. I'll never forget, Melissa asked me a question. She said, Pastor, I don't know anybody that honored their parents more than, I, than, than, than Eric did. Why did God take him home? That's a tough question. Because it says in Ephesians 6, 3, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thou days may be long on the earth. Quoting from way back in uh, Exodus. Now I remember saying, The secret things belong unto God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. God can do what he chooses. Amen? Think about that. Think about patience. Having patience. That's something we need more of but we're afraid to ask for it because those of you that know your Bibles know that tribulation worketh patience. That means trouble. Had a dear lady in our church years ago. She said, I prayed for patience and God gave me twins. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. I said, well, you got it now, don't you? Amen. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience. What's next? Godliness. Godliness, God-likeness. Not, not being God, not being perfect, but being well-pleasing to God. Losing our cool, not well-pleasing to God. Hmm? Worrying, some of you, some of you uh, your, your closet worry warts, you call it concern, but it's really worry, and it's still a sin. Huh? Not well-pleasing to God. Listen, partaking of things we know we shouldn't, watching programs we know we shouldn't, not well-pleasing to God. Where they take the Lord's name in vain, have all kinds of things we shouldn't see. Huh? Don't get quiet on me. Godliness. Oh, I love the next one. What's the next one there after godliness? Brotherly kindness. You know that word. There's a city in Pennsylvania that comes from that word. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Phileos. Phileos. Brotherly love. Love of the brethren. I'm so thankful. Oh, If you're new to this church, I'm telling you, I want to highly recommend that you become part of this fellowship. I'm so glad. You know, when I see people, Miss D., you came in tonight, and I smiled as soon as I saw you. And Miss Marge and, and Ashley, and, and please I, forgive me if I leave anybody off, amen. But uh, Brother Rome, of course, we just saw each other right away and just smiled. And Brother Rich and uh, all those folks that have been here, this is a loving fellowship. Loving fellowship. I'm so glad Loomis Park Baptist Church, you ever come out to Michigan, please, you come visit us. You will love it. We, we have so many guests that come and say, boy, this is a loving church. Even during COVID, when we can't, you know, hug and, and whatnot. And some people still do. Listen, I've got sweet little grandmas in my church. They insist on it. A little sideways hug, you know, a little awkward, awkward elbow bump, amen. Uh, loving. Listen, love. You know, what, you know what believers need? Oh, my goodness. We need to be saturated with the love of God that it just oozes out. Love of the brethren. 
You know, that's part of some... Listen, some Christians are not easy to love. And that is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to love them anyway. Love them. Uh, and listen, we, we have them. You know, you, you, you say, hey, you going to smile today? And they say, I am smiling. You know? Okay. Well, I love you, brother. I love you. Amen. I love you. And I do. I need to. And I need to love indeed. See, we could say I love you, but then when somebody has a need, we prove whether we love them or not. I, if I, there's a way I can help meet that need, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I love you in Christ. And you'd, you'd be surprised. That person that's a curmudgeon and a grouch, you love them in deed instead of word, and they might just start smiling again. Or they might not. You never can tell. Amen. <laughs> Last one. Goes right along with brotherly kindness, Philadelphia. Charity. That's a different kind of love, isn't it? Brotherly love is that, amen, absolutely brotherly love, but charity is agape love. What's that? That's John 3.16, die on the cross love. Hmm? That's Romans 5.8 love. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. So what are we saying here? We're saying that we have a responsibility because of the resources, because of the riches, we have a responsibility to grow in Christ and all God's people said. And then let me give you the reasons and I'll give you an application and we'll be done. So we have the reality, verse 1, the request, verse 2, the riches, verse 3, the resources, verse 3 and 4, the responsibilities, verses 5 through 7, the reasons, verses 8 and 9. What are the reasons why we need to grow in our faith? Eight, uh, verse 8, the first one, the positive reason. For if these things, talking about all that we just talked about, right? All those virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, if these things be in you and abound, so not just, not just these little shoots, that's where it starts with your faith, but now they're growing into these oaks, right? They're grow, or I should say this, they're growing into these fruit trees. Huh? All these virtues are growing into these fruit trees. It says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, show me a Christian who is every day trying to add to their faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, uh, charity, and I will show you a fruitful Christian. I will show you a Christian that is pleasing to the Lord. So the first reason is the fruitfulness of spiritual growth. That's the positive reason. Listen, if you, you will commit yourself to grow in these things, you will be a fruitful believer. And one day when God calls you into account and said, did you bear fruit? And probably like all of us say, well, I, I sure try. And all of a sudden you got this trail of bushels of fruit behind you that extends from here to eternity. You'll be pleased. And God will be pleased. And he says here, if these things be in you and abound, make sure neither be barren nor unfruitful. Okay? So that's the positive reason there. Fruitfulness of spiritual growth. 
And this is where I really, this is the application, this, this last point here, verse 9. Talking about the, the message is the, the believer's greatest loss. But he that lacketh these things, what are the, these things? Virtue, knowledge, temperance, these qualities, these character traits, these points of growth. He that lacketh these things is blind. That's not good. You ever had somebody that was blind? It's difficult. Difficult to be blind. Can't move very fast. Can't do a lot of things, right? You can't see. I'm getting to that point where I got good distance, but lines in the, in the glasses here, amen? I take these off and try to, try to look at this. Uh, I can appreciate this text, amen? I just can't read it, amen? Is blind and cannot see afar off, so it goes even further. Not only short-sighted blind, but, but uh, distance blind, right? And then it says this, one of the most incredible statements in the Word of God. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Who, going back to verse 1, who is Peter talking to? Believers, correct? Okay, let me ask you a question, rhetorical question. Can a believer ever be lost? No. Why? Because 1 Peter 1.5 says we're kept by the power of God. That's not up to us to do the keeping. It's up to us to receive salvation, and then God does the keeping. Remember what he said in John, Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse, or chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck him out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There is no way you can get yourself out of a two-hand sandwich, two-hand divine sandwich, amen? amen? Can't do it. But according to this text, you can literally forget that you are saved. Pastor, I have to tell you, even when I read this text, and I believe the Word of God, I have a hard time with that one. But, Brother Rome, I've been to enough doors. Hi, I'm Pastor Rich from Loomis Park Baptist Church. We're just inviting folks out to our church today. You got a church home you go to? No. Oh, okay, could I, could I maybe spend a few minutes tell you how the Bible says you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Go through the whole plan of salvation. Romans 3.23, we're all sinners. Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Hey, you owe the payment for sin? Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, Romans 5.8, God commendeth his love toward us, and then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 10.13, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Brother Glenn, they say, I did that. I did that. It was years ago. It was, it was in a vacation Bible school, and I did that. I asked Jesus to save me. Now, when I got there five minutes ago, they didn't know if they were saved. Now they remember that they trusted Jesus Christ. By the way, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. Sometimes they need to be saved, sometimes they don't. How is it that a person can forget that they got saved? They never grew. 
they never grew. And God, listen, God help churches, forgive me, that commit what I call spiritual abortion. You know what that is? You win them to Christ at the door and don't ever go after them again. That causes a lot of people to forget that they were purged from their old sins and never grow. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you know why this is the, the believer's greatest loss is to lose the assurance of your salvation. You know why? Because you spend your entire life wondering if you're saved and not doing anything for God but spinning your wheels. Wondering, am I saved? Am I really not saved? Listen, I understand doubt. Boy, do I. I got saved at 23. Saw things with these eyes that I would never share with anybody. Including my wife, pastor, friends. I know what I've seen. God knows what I've seen. And Ephesians 5 says it's a shame to even speak of those things which are done in secret. So very often the devil comes to me and goes, you're not saved. You're not saved. You know what I do when he does that? Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and it shall not come into condemnation, and is passed from death unto life. Past, present, future, save there, devil. Rome, uh, Acts 16, 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I'm saved, devil. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. By the way, it's the Word of God that gives me the assurance that I'm saved and the Spirit of God. Can I ask you a question? Have you lost the assurance of your salvation? It happens. It's hard to believe. And it's, I would say, it's just, this is a strange message, Pastor, for a Thursday night crowd. Because you would think everybody here has got assurance. But I know the old devil... Billy Sunday said, I know the devil's real because I've done business with him. I agree with that. I know how he works on us and works on us and works on us. And listen, I, I, when I think about this, Christian, you're eternally saved. Absolutely. We're going to, Lord willing, on Sunday night, I, I believe I have the messages for the, the next few days. I believe on Sunday night I'm going to preach on the judgment seat of Christ. Sober message. You're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you will be saved. Absolutely. The judgment seat of Christ is not to decide whether you're saved or lost. Jesus Christ already decided you're saved if you trusted him. But it's to decide whether you're going to have rewards or just enter into heaven by the skin of your teeth. You don't, listen, you lose the assurance of your salvation because you didn't take the responsibility and grow. Wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ. Standing in the ashes. You don't want that. So here's what I say to you. There's a great kid song. Read your Bible and you'll grow, grow, grow. Get in this Bible every day. Have devotion. Ask pastor. Say, pastor, I want, I want a good devotional. Can you recommend a devotional for me? Can you recommend a Bible reading plan? Get in this book. But not only get in this book, 
but pursue the virtues, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience. And by the way, there's more. Huh? There's more wisdom. And you can go on and on and on and on. Get in this book. Make this book the guide for your life. And you'll never be barren nor unfruitful. And you will not suffer the believer's greatest loss. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness and blessing. Thank you that we can have blessed assurance. Lord, we ask that you would please be with each member of this congregation. Again, thank you for the children listening so well and uh, being so still. And Lord, we ask that during this invitation that folks would do business with you. They would not wait for their neighbor to do business or not wait for this part. They, that if you have touched a heart tonight, that they would do business with you. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. Sister, would you play Blessed Assurance? Amen. Just very quietly. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Can I ask you a question tonight? If you died tonight, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Don't toy with that. Don't trifle with that. You do not have to doubt that. I remember those days where I wasn't sure. And then I remember coming to Mountain View Baptist Church in February of 1995 and hearing the gospel, hearing that Jesus loved me, Jesus died for me, Jesus was willing to save me if I would just call upon him. And let me tell you the simplicity of my prayer that day. I said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm on my way to hell. Please save me. Not more theological than that. Just like when Peter was sinking in the water, he did not pray, O oh, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thou that flungest the stars into the heavens. He said, Lord, save me. And I'm so glad he did 25 years later. If you're not saved, it's as simple as admitting you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. Turning to the Savior and trusting him. He will save you. All you got to do is ask Christians, you're saved. You're saved eternally. Nothing can ever disturb that. Your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life and lacquered in, never to be blotted out. Are you living with the assurance of that? Are you adding to your faith virtue? The virtue, knowledge? The knowledge, temperance? The temperance, patience? The patience, godliness? Godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, charity. Are you in the book each day? Are you in the house of God when the lights are on and the door squeaks? Why don't you consecrate yourself today? Say, Lord, I am going to grow. I don't want, when I, when I meet you face to face, I don't want to be barren or unfruitful. I want to be a fruitful Christian. Let's stand.